so uh, I'd like to introduce our guest, uh, Chris Whitmore. He's a United States Marine, medically retired, you know, <laughs> um, also the author of Terror uh, or Triumph, uh, Terror to Triumph. And uh, man, you've had an extensive career, not only in the military, but law enforcement. And now you're out helping veterans, man. Uh, Chris, without further ado, thank you for coming on the show. I know we've had some times and some tribulations getting our uh, our schedule synced up, man. But I really do appreciate you, man. So yeah, man, thanks. Yeah, man. So uh, we're just gonna jump right into this, man. Feet first, um, dude. How did how do you uh, start your mornings off, man? Uh, <clears throat> probably a lot like uh, everyone else um, until recently, and my knees are just not allowing it anymore. But used to get up and go for like a three mile run. Uh, uh, get the day started about, I don't know, four, five o'clock in the morning or whatever, um, build the, the, the life or juice cup up full of coffee and, you know, off we go and, um, you know, try and get the joints moving and all that and jump on my, uh, the motorcycle about 7am and ride into work. That way I can kind of just decompress on the way in and on the way back. And then, uh, just do it all over again, you know, Monday through Friday, um, you know, kind of the banker's hours, day starts at, I don't know, 7.30, usually home and, and done and relaxed about 6. So it's just a fun day. And then answer emails and phone calls till about 8 o'clock at night, you know, with yeah. the, the panic. So, ah! <laughs> is the ride into work, man? What kind of bike do you have? I've got a, a 2014 uh, Street Glide uh, special. It's all, um, like, tricked out with the... Uh, the CBO rear fender extended bags and gotcha. a bunch of other like custom work that I've done on it. Nice. Is it the one seventeen in it? Uh, the the one hundred three, but it's got um three a jet kit and it's kind of bored out. It's got the 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 racing cam on it, so it, it's uh, it's kind of slow. But um, <laughs> yeah, kind of slow my butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's awesome, man, dude. I love riding. I had a uh, twenty eleven Street Glide, dude. I love that thing. Uh, I can't wait to get another one, man, and yeah. get out there in the open air and cruise. Now, Texas don't have uh, uh, helmet laws, right? You can yeah. ride without helmet. Yeah, you can ride yeah. without helmets, and um, and sometimes uh, depending on where I'm going, I'll, I'll you know dish the helmet and all that stuff. But sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, it's like okay, going up to doubt, you know, six seven hour ride. I'm probably gonna you know put yeah. on something to help with the wind, and so you're not getting out there like the the whole red face glow because of the wind burn and all that. Right. Yeah, no, man. I get it, dude. I love riding, man. I miss it. Uh, I'll get back to it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a pretty good morning routine, man. Uh, it sounds therapeutic, man, getting up, you know, working out uh, and, uh, you know, hitting that sweet brown nectar that we call <laughs> coffee. For sure. Uh, man, that's awesome, dude. And then, uh, I mean, how do you finish that off with a ride and the ride home, man? Yeah. That's definitely a way to decompress. It's great know? in the morning, but when it's 110 outside, I'm not going to lie, it's a little, uh, it's a little punishing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it's still 98 degrees, you know, it's at six o'clock at night and you're just like, Ugh. Um, yeah, and just straight right into the humidity. And it, it's just, it's brutal, but it's, uh, I guess the good thing is you can ride, uh, yeah, basically all year round. I mean, you're going to get yeah. some rain days, but you know, yeah. that's part of it. That's part yeah. of riding, man. That's part of the, the lifestyle. Taking the punishment yeah. every once in a while, but yeah, actually, I would like to know what everybody's favorite bike is, man. If they like the street glide or if they like the uh, road glide or if they're a Harley guy or Indian guy, man. I mean, I want to know. 
Um, yeah, for, or hopefully it's not a sport bike, but I know some people love the cross rocket. Hey, still. come on, man. Don't <laughs> knock the sport bike, dude. I love the sport bike too. I had those as well, man. There is a place and a time for all of it, man. Oh, I'm in yes. San Diego and I had an R6, Yamaha R6. Oh, yes. And I would take that little thing up in the mountains, man, in the twisties and throw that thing around. <laughs> now, that's a whole different ride than you trying to throw around a cruiser. Oh, yeah, big 700 pound monster. You know? Yeah, it's not going to work that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are some guys that can, man. There's some guys that will damn near drag a knee on a freaking cruiser. It's like, you know what? You're a braver man than I because yeah. I'm not doing that. I mean, I've peg dragged uh, a few times, but it's not a comfortable feeling. I don't like no. it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, ex yeah, exactly, man. That just gets hung up on a pothole and game over. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, man, that's awesome, dude. So, uh, where did you grow up at? Um, I, I grew up as a military brat, but primarily grew up in a little small town that's only recently, well, not recently, a couple of years ago hit the news big time. Uh, it's a place called Paradise, California. It's up in the foothills, uh, about two hours northeast-ish of um, Sacramento. And it was all over the news as uh, that, that town that got basically gutted by that wildfire uh, and basically torched the whole town. All the childhood memories uh, went up in smoke. Um, all the places you visited, you know, like the um, the covered bridge, the different little spots, um, you know, the parks, grew up, family memories, pictures, things like that, completely annihilated. Um, uh, you know, childhood homes, you know, parents and grandparents don't live there anymore, but, you know, they, they burnt to the ground, all that stuff. So it's been, uh, that was really challenging when that first started, uh, you know, lost a few friends um, in the fires because it just, it happened so quick. The town was gutted and I think, Oh God, like two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. The whole, the whole town was gone. Um, and they've made movies and, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, movies, books, things like that on Paradise Fire. Um, but it was basically, you know, they never cleaned out the, the brush through the, the forest and all that stuff and lightning strike and electrical whatever. And then whoosh, it was just like a, just a wildfire and it just swept right through the town and uh, people were, you know, described it as um, like pure hell because they were um, like parked on one of the main highways out of town and the fire was engulfing them. So they literally abandoned their vehicles running down the highway through the fire, just trying to get out. And it, it's it's crazy. The movies and stuff like that, you watch it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I couldn't even imagine. Wow. I have to we'll have to go check that out, man. And uh, I, I don't know the story, actually. I never heard of it, but I'm not from California, so that's probably not surprising. Yeah. You know, that's well, how was your childhood, man? Was it, uh, you know, like, was it pretty, pretty decent or like, I mean, how'd you grow up? You know, mom and dad in the house. You said military brat. Yeah, a military brat. Uh, parents separated uh, when, yeah, God, I don't even know, probably nine or 10 years old or something like that. Um, but I also grew up in a whole family full of military. Uh, my dad all my uncles, uh, Jesus, uh, my grand, yeah, grandfather, father, uncles, uh, all grew up in the military. They all were either in the, one uncle was in the army, everyone else was in the Navy. And I was like, I'm flipping the script and not gonna float on a boat. And I don't wanna, you know, be in the army. So sure. um, I was like, oh, the Marine uniform looks kind of cool. I'm gonna go that way. You know, not really knowing anything about it. Um, but my, uh, you know, my grandfather was actually uh, on, Pearl Harbor in 1941 during the bombings and he was actually oh, wow. a silver star recipient uh, so uh, I've got that somewhere like yeah, I think in a safe somewhere uh, his actual silver star from that time 
uh, and he was up in the Marine Corps base up on the Northeast when uh, when all the bombing started and all that stuff. And uh, so he, of course, never really talked about it. And, sure. uh, you know, and then my uncles. So, yeah. How did that. So when your parents got divorced, man, like eight or nine years old or nine or ten, how did that affect you, man? Like, did you go live with mom or go live with dad or. Yeah. Uh, when I lived with uh, with mom. Um, for a while and then when i hit about 16 had you know the license to be an idiot uh you know kind of went wild a little bit and i was like you know what yeah. i just what did you do what'd you do to go wild uh like you know skipping school got into the drug alcohol scene partying all the time uh showing up to school like halfway through the day like uh, you know what hell with it i'm here you know not passing any of my classes i mean it was just it was horrible uh, I even told my mom, I was like, you know what, just emancipate me. I don't care. I want out, you know, like, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm ready to take on the world at, you know, 16. And I'm like, sure. yeah, looking back, I'm like, I wasn't ready for shit. But, um, you know, uh, about halfway through that stupid phase, I was like, oh, you know what? And my grandparents were actually like, you know what, come in, um, come down here and live with us in paradise again. And I was like, okay, cool. So I jumped in the car. Um you know, went down there, uh, did, uh, I guess the alternative school thing like back then, uh -huh. uh, and then worked at night, went to school in the day, worked at night, uh, uh, you know, started paying rent and, you know, like not room and board, but like, you know, giving some of the check back to the grandparents for like housing and feeding and all that stuff. And, uh, then at 18, um, took the test passed the very next day was at the recruiting office. And I was like, let's go. And, and so you mean you took the test, you took the ASVAB. Yeah, I took the ASVAB, yeah. uh, passed, uh, I think back then, God, I, I probably got like a 40. Like I was just, yeah. didn't care. I was just like, you know what? I want to be yeah. infantry. Let's go. Like, where do I sign up? And then uh, September. So the military was kind of your way out, right? Yeah. So as you kind of got older and got through these, uh, some of these trials and tribulations, you know, and so you went and lived with your grandparents. Where was your mom and dad at the time? Uh, dad was, my mom was living up in Seattle, Washington with my youngest brother sis, and sister, younger sister. Dad was in the Navy still, and he was stationed out in uh, Hawaii with his, uh, uh, yeah, stationed out in Hawaii. And then I was uh, just running and gunning and i was like you know what september 1995 me and a, a high school friend um jumped uh, put on the plane sat down to mcrd san diego and uh it began it the the ah, it's been just a wild ride ever since so you uh you obviously graduated high school i take yeah. it you know you buckled down you went to alternative school worked paid rent at your grandparents house you know, help contribute to the household, which that's awesome, man. Not a lot of people do, you know, um, you know, meanwhile, you have, uh, your mom moved to Seattle with your sister and younger brother. Right? Uh, and then your younger brother mm -hmm. and sister yep. too. Okay. And so they're up there with them. So now you're with grandparents. Uh, that's kind of a, a different realm that most people grow up in. I mean, usually, you know, the siblings all leave at once. Right. But why did you exit that? Why did you, why were you the one to be like, Hey man, I'm going to go live with my grandparents and, you know, leave your mom and your two siblings. Um, they, um, she was, uh, kind of had like the new, uh, the new boyfriend guy, you know, the, all that stuff. And we, you know, we all got along, but I was, uh, wanted to do my, 
my way of doing things. I didn't care about the the rules. I didn't care about, you know, whatever. It, it basically came down to um, if you're going to live under this roof, you're going to follow my rules. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not living here anymore. And, and that was it. So um, that was kind of the, the how that started. And, um, you know, I mean, it was probably the best choice I could have made because I think if I would have uh, stuck around up in Washington, I probably would have never joined the military. I mean, I might have but there would have been a lot of waivers for uh, like criminal record and stuff like that. So um, I, it was it was probably the best, best and hardest, you know, kind of leaving what you know, you know, you're you're now in this uh, grandparents house. They're they're not like young parents age people. They're not going to tolerate nearly um, as much stuff and, you know, being retired military and all that. My grandfather, he was he had a hard line and that was it. Like it was just like here's how it's gonna happen and that's the end of it. Um, you know, uh, even if I was out late, he'd be like, you know, just nod. And then at uh, 4.30 in the morning, he was waking me up like, let's go. We got work to do outside. And it's like, what? So, um, yeah. oh yeah, like there, there was no get out of jail yeah. free, nothing. So it was, uh, yeah. um, but, it, but it, it made me grow up a lot too because I was independent, but yet I was still, um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a whole lot of choices um gotcha. to to go like array and you know and then the um the military really got driven in so yeah yeah he probably drove that home a little bit but like hey you turn 18 what are you gonna do with yeah. your life and start instilling that seed yep. and so he did so 1995 man you went against the green and joined the marines you know you probably your parents kind of hated you a little bit for that <laughs> but it's okay oh, yeah you know they got over i imagine uh you know being uh you know go blue go navy <laughs> yep no for sure they were like what um, are you doing yeah so you came in as a, a door kicker pretty much right yeah, uh, an infantryman yep, joined as an infantry guy okay. and uh you know of course back in the uh, late mid to late 90s uh the the three were three week war i guess uh not to d downplay it a little bit but i mean it was a three week war you know they pushed sure. him and that was it so um going in my first duty station was hawaii of all places um, so oh, terrible, yeah, terrible I, I, was, I was like, okay, this is the worst case scenario. So, you know, out in Hawaii for four years, um, no wars going on. So it was just the, the unit deployment stuff. You know, you go over to Oki, Korea, uh, Mount Fuji, Japan, you know, did a little six month training thing and, sure. and back and forth. So that was, you know, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to live in Hawaii, but so, I mean, like, well, it could be worse than that. So right did you develop any good habits like surfing scuba diving uh i i you know, should have but i i was still in that um you know 18 19 uh yeah party, party phase. phase i got the um you know bought a uh god what was it back then um an old honda uh crotch rocket uh way back then and the, you know oh yeah the cbr yeah, in 96 you know bought the little cbr racing up and down to um, you know, Waikiki, Honolulu, like partying up and down the beach, you know, it just, uh, living the dream really. I mean, it was, it was absolutely, um, you know, it was amazing experience. I wish I could go back and, and really, you know, do the scuba diving thing, learn to, um, you know, surf, do all like that, the beach stuff. But I was, I was just too sure. interested in, um, like just yeah, go, yeah, partying, partying and going as fast as I can. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully I didn't hit that wall. So. Sure. Uncle Sam gave you a little money in your pocket, you know, 
some some need for speed and uh some thrill man so i get that dude i get it i've been there you know that's why i love cross rockets i love motorcycles i love fast cars mm -hmm. uh, i still have that itch today but now it's more reasonable and responsible yeah, yeah things know, have slowed. not the 18 year old itch yeah things have slowed down quite a bit sure so you were in the service you did no wars going on mm -hmm. and you what got out in 1999 yeah, got right? out in 99 um was uh we weirdly and this is going to date me really bad but uh that was right around the time, um, I guess, AOL, the dial-up, the internet was out, um, and the AOL chat rooms and all that stuff. And, um, you know, from Hawaii, I was talking to my now wife of uh, 24 years. You know, we started talking. Uh, uh, she lived in Houston. I lived um, in Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Back up, back up. <laughs> You, you're hitting up the old dial up there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm trying to make it. That was terrible. But what chat room? I mean, this wasn't match.com. This wasn't Tinder. This wasn't, you know, these dating apps. Like, how did you meet her online and, and, and what avenue other than a dial up? Because that's not going to put you to a chat room. It was the old um, AOL.com uh, chat rooms that they used to have, the AOL internet. Um, and it was like, I think it was. Oh God, twenties love or something like that. Uh, chat room, and we we just started chatting it up uh, in these chat rooms or whatever. When I was you know three in the morning, I was like, oh, I'm gonna just you know fuck around on the internet a little bit. Let's see what's going on. And and sure enough, I, I was just like, wow, you know. And we started talking, and uh, in August of '99, ended up moving um, moving down to Houston to uh, to be with her, and uh, we've been together ever since. That's that's awesome, man. I that you know my my AOL days was very short lived because uh, my dad got a computer. He ended up getting me this game on it, which was I can't remember the game, but it was like a motorcycle game, and it was kind of cool. And then, uh, fucking, I looked up porn on my dad's computer, like bike, yeah, porn, whatever. I, I don't, I can't remember what it was, but I, you know, I was just like, oh, boobies, yeah. <laughs> this is awesome like what at my fingertips yeah. well i didn't know anything about history and clearing and cookies and i i was i'm not a computer person at all man so my dad freaking uh was like hey what is this and i was like i don't know who did that dude there's two people in the house and a dog my dog is not my dog is not looking up porn okay it was me clearly so yeah i got uh you know got busted and that was into my my days pretty much on computer um and then uh yeah so you uh so you met her online you flew to houston you met uh you got out of the military right so you're no longer you're no longer a devil dog at this point then where do you go from there you meet the love of your life and uh that you didn't quite know you're going to be the love of your <laughs> life no probably. right uh so what happened man where do you go from the yeah, Marine Corps? Uh, got out um got down to houston um and i knew i you know, was slowly going to miss, you know, a little bit about of the military lifestyle. It was just, it was, I was still young. I was still into it a lot, you know, so I was like, I need something that's going to be similar, but different. And so, uh, you know, those old, um, um, I guess, t not TV shows, um, uh, talk shows like Maury Povich and all those stuff. And then you had like those, uh, Oh yeah, like Jerry Springer. you had those dudes with the like the uh, drone instructor hats who come on and yell at the kids and they'd take them to boot camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's what I yeah. um, I did. Like got right into that. Um, what you went in? You like scaring yeah, kids straight? Like uh, kids straight, and then I joined the adult boot camp. 
which is kind of like um what's that movie uh uh first time fell in where they go like to that boot camp and they're like basically like recruits again for uh like three months they've got to pass through three different phases they've got to take like an indoc um before they, they get picked up by a company it's run just like marine corps boot camp and um then i ended up doing that for a long time uh from 99 to 2003 so so tell me the cool story about that man tell me a cool story that you were in there the, uh especially the the juvenile was something like crazy because as it turns out and then this is probably the weirdest thing uh my wife actually works as a as a military family uh substance abuse counselor therapist person and one of her new clients that just started was uh he was looking at the picture she has on the walls and he's like He's like, who's that guy right there? And she's like, that's my husband. Why? He's like, he was my drill instructor when I was in juvenile boot camp in in Houston back in uh, 2002. And I was like, what? And he, and he still remembers me, which is cool. But I'm like, weird, you know, like that. That I, I never in a million years would have thought um, that that was going to be ha happening. But sure enough, he. He remembers me and he remembers when um, I was there and he, he always jokes with my wife. He was the meanest. And I was like, I wasn't the, you know, like, I, I wasn't <laughs> the meanest. You know, you're just a little punk who needed to get, you, you were a little me who yeah. I, I needed to like get back on the right track before you made the same dumb mistakes as I did. But it, it's pretty cool that he actually remembers me and things like that. So it was, uh, that, obviously you yeah. had an impact. And, the best moment, I think, with the um, the adult boot camp, because um, we would literally once a month we would take the, the the jail van down to the county jail, and we'd go into the 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 intake tanks or whatever, and be like, you know, call out their names, like, hey, you you're going to boot camp, you know, get get over against this wall, um, and the reputation was so bad about the boot camp, like. You know we're gonna make them like their life is gonna be hell for for 90 days but if they complete it then they're they don't their their sense is done they don't have to worry about it but if they screw up they get 10 years added on so it, it behooves of them to do what they're supposed to do wow is that severe so it's like hey listen pay the piper 90 days or, or go to 10 jail years? for you know the full pay the freight so it's kind of like a um like a gridiron gang type thing, but yeah. it's actually like yeah. uh, Marine Corps boot camp. Everything's painted in like red and yellow. Sure. They have to do drill competitions and there's an obstacle course that they run, um, like all kinds of crap that we put them through. Um, and we actually started calling out the names and this dude was so afraid to go to boot camp. He literally threw himself on the uh, up against the wall and started headbutting the wall to where he busted his head open so he didn't have to go to boot camp. And we're like, you know get out of here and and all these people are just like 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 freaking out um but we get them to boot camp you know they're they're just like you know brand new guys get off the bus in their particular service branch they don't know yeah. anything um yeah we put them through medical you know they get a you know shaved head the whole nine yards they go to like a receiving barracks like all kind it's just like boot camp and the best experience was probably on a graduation where the parents uh like come up to you give you a huge hug they're crying 
they're, they're, they don't even recognize their kid anymore because they're, you know, yes or no, you know, all that stuff. It, it's that change. So I think that was probably the coolest part is, is the reaction when they first got there, just a huge pile of nothing to, you know, graduating, uh, getting their life back on track. Their parents are happy. Their families are happy. Um, and the, uh, the re-arrest rate was, um, it was the success rate of the program was like 80 or 90%, I think like that. So it, it was really, really high. Um, but it was, uh, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. I had a great time doing that. Does that program no, still no, exist they, today? The county shut it down and then they, they turned it over to the, um, like the county sheriffs and all that stuff. And they, um, it just kind of fell to, you know, it slowly started like trickling away. Sure. Funding got dropped, you know, all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, so it. Wow. I can't believe that we take a program that has an 80 to 90 success rate and, 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 yeah. and drop it. I mean, that is asinine. And that like, was back in why? 2000. That should still yeah. be existing. Yeah, that should still be existing today. Because if it has that kind of high success rate, imagine our, maybe our prisons yeah. would be overrun. You know, maybe we wouldn't have some of the problems yeah. we have today. You know, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like a program that needs to be piloted and, and pushed and across, America. across America. I think really? there's only like just a few left standing throughout like the whole United States. Sure. I don't think there's that many programs like that around. Um, but it, it's it definitely it should have stuck around. I mean, it was a it was a great thing that helped people. But it I, I guess it was funding because I'm sure it wasn't cheap. But it can't be cheap yeah. leaving them in prison either. Sure. So it's yeah, yeah. What's what's the difference in prison? They're getting indoctrinated into a yeah. different kind of world versus this. You're trying to give them something mm -hmm. and some discipline, you know, some life yeah. balance. You know, and projecting them out to the world, other than like, oh, hey, we kind of put them through some counseling in prison, maybe, and some educational. Probably, like, what? Like, you understand what they just got? Kind of education. They got a real education on how yep. to do criminal. And shit now they come out a better criminal, and it's kind of like, wow, great call <laughs> there. Um, and <laughs> right. Well, so you went from there, man. So you did this program. Where did you go from there? How did you get along? Yeah, uh, you know, I was doing that, and I was having a great time, but. Um, I was kind of like, you know what, this is awesome, exciting, but it's not the the high speed adrenaline rush that I had, um, you know, in the Marine Corps. I was still chasing that, that you know, like chasing the big wave, like a surfer always wants the next big wave. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I ended up applying to be a Texas State Trooper in uh, like late 2002 and then March 2003, I was in... Um, in the academy to be a state trooper um, in Austin, Texas, it was twenty-three weeks of uh, like boot camp. I mean, you you lived there Monday through Friday. Had like curfew on Sundays. You had to be back by like noon on Sunday. Like it was regimented. It, it just brutal for twenty-three weeks. But that was, um, you know, that that was that was awesome. I had a great great time. Everyone was military, so you know. They would yell and scream and we'd all just kind of look at each other like really dude like come on you know we've all been through this yeah. like I, I think our class was 120 people 60 of them were like former military so we're just like yeah okay cool but the people who weren't former military probably oh, were like oh my they god like, uh you know the first yeah. few days you know they're we're just doing paperwork and you know pt assessments and things like that and and people were dropping <laughs> Like they didn't, they're like, oh, I don't want to do all this paperwork. I don't want, you know, this is not what I thought. And they want to go back and be, um, 
jailers or uh you know city cops city cops or something like that you know and um hopefully they were successful but we graduated uh, 80 maybe so but some wow. of that was to you know oh three when that the the push back into iraq started so a lot of those guys who were in the reserves sure. got yanked back to active duty so um you know that that was part of it but a lot of it was they were just dropping you know they they just couldn't um accept it because it was it's, it was run like a military boot camp i mean it was just like a it's an academy it's 23 weeks there you know you have to live there you're away from family and and some people just oh, i can't be away from family for five days a week and i'm like like i wish it was that easy so it was like right. um, it, it was good to see him go because i'm like if you can't handle five days like i i don't want you coming to help me out like it's, it's like no nope. If, if you, you yeah, think like, this is pressure, I've got a whole yeah. like a whole book full of uh, pressure situations that you're more than welcome to take take away from me. That's fine. So, um, but yeah, so I started doing that, um, responding to uh, you know counts, countless high speed chases, uh, you know arresting people for drugs, DWIs, and you know this, that, and the other. Uh, fatality wrecks was a big thing for the state troopers. Um, we would get called to every fatality wreck to have to work that. And then you go do the death notifications and, you know, things like that. And it, it's just, that was but the worst. Like that was. So were you, were you the state trooper that would give your own mother no, a ticket? There, there was a lot of people who I would like, unless I was having to ride with somebody, um, you know, you had to be like, uh, you know, pretty like deliberate stuff. Like DWIs, I had no tolerance for because it's just like, you know what, there, sure. there's so many, especially when it's like the EMTs, you pull over the EMTs and paramedics that you see at these wrecks and they're taking care of all these idiots who like wrecked out and like, you know, killed people or killed their fam you know, family members, uh, DWI, something like that. And then you see that you're pulling over this EMT for a DWI and you're like, what the fuck? You know, and, and we tried to be like, okay, you know, you made it from here to here, but park your car, call somebody, it, it, because if they get arrested for a DWI, their their paramedic EMT license is gone. It's revoked, uh, just like an eighteen wheeler driver. So we would try and work with them the best we could, but at the same time, it was like, you know what, you guys have, you should know better. Like, what is wrong with you? And sometimes, sure. yeah, you're held to a yeah, set different, and different standard. I mean, it's like if you see this every day, yeah. how can you knowingly put yourself into this position and? have to deal with that I, I just it always like blew my mind but it was um but some of the uh and one of the notifications um during that time is actually in the book uh you know around the christmas time and you know doing all that and knocking on the door at three in the morning uh you know all that stuff it, it just it sucks you know there's not a worse feeling in the world than telling uh, a parent that their kid's not coming home anymore here's the here's where their body is you know uh especially right before the holidays because then for me it's like i don't want to celebrate a holiday you know i just had to tell a family that you know their world is now like just been ripped apart so i don't want to celebrate either so it was just, it was a really power struggle during that time for so me that, so you struggled you struggled yeah. in seeing this death on a continuous basis and that probably played a tremendous uh, you know, roll on you and kind of your psychology going forward in that job too, right? Yeah, you I know, mean, I'm working wrecks around the holidays. Uh, you know, uh, how did you cope with it? 
Uh, a lot of a uh, lot of drinking and a lot of um, you know just kind of isolating away. You know the, the typical um, bad way of doing things. You know like the um, uh, you know hibernating away in, in the, the you know not wanting to be around anybody. Uh, you know things like that. Or we just go out and, and you know just party as hard as we could and take a cab back home and just rinse and repeat. Uh, and then some days got better, but I also started feeling myself becoming, um, I guess maybe like an ER or a doctor does, or a surgeon. You know, you you lose somebody and it sucks, but you don't, you uh, desensitize yourself to it. You're, you're just kind of like, so I slowly started feeling myself getting into that mindset. And I'm like, hmm, like, I don't like this version of myself. So in uh, 2004, so about a year and a half in, um, you know, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know what? I, I said, this is great, but um, I've always been, I was always a better Marine than a civilian. I was like, so I think, um, you know, we really need to discuss going back in and, you know, doing that. And she said, she agreed, but she said, you're going to have to promise me though, when you go back in, there's not going to be four years out, you know, whatever, like you're going to stay until you retire. This is going to be it. No more job hopping. And I said, you know what? Perfect. Let's go. And she's like, all right, let's go talk to the recruiter tomorrow. And, and sure enough, um, uh, June June of 2004, went, went into the recruiting office, Marine Corps recruiter's office and said, hey, I want back in. Um, and he's like, okay. And, you know, started, uh, he took me to the computer. He said, uh, he said, you were a Marine before, so you know how to do paperwork, you know, fill out your, all your MEPS physical paperwork, all the like re-enlistment paperwork. I had to type it all up myself. Um, but, uh, and then of course I told them, I don't care where, what job you give me. I don't care what duty station. I just want back in right now. And he probably thought like he hit jackpot, you know, like what recruiter wouldn't. He's like, oh, he's like, okay, got the perfect place for you. You're gonna go back into the infantry and you're gonna go to 29 Palms, California. And I'm like, Cool infantry, uh, awesome. I'm like, where the, where's 29 Palms? And he, he pulled out like a map and he's like, right there. And I was like, and my wife and I are looking at the map like, what the fuck? Like, there's nothing there. He's like, exactly. He's like, yep. you'll know when you see it. And I was like, wow, okay. So- you get what you asked for, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a few months later, um, you know, working uh, out of the recruiting offices, like a recruiter's aide, I guess. Uh, got the orders to go join uh 3rd Battalion 7th Marines in 29 Palms, California. Um and by the time we got there it would be a month and a half before um the main body came back cuz they were still deployed up to uh like Al-Assad, Al-Qaim, all that stuff up there. Uh so we which was good cuz that gave us a little bit of time to kind of check out the um you know the area get accustomed to it. Which there's not a whole lot to get. What do you mean to check it. out? You, what one liquor store, three bars? Well, they well they had and the a bunch of desert. They had the Applebee's oh. and the Walmart. You know, twenty minutes away. That was the hot spot. You know, everyone would go to what Walmart parking lot. Yeah, the Walmart Applebee's? parking lot, Applebee's, and <laughs> uh, or if you got adventurous, you could take the hour and a half uh, long drive down to um, Palm Springs, or what was it, five or six hours to Vegas, or five or six hours to the. Um, you know the ocean, and it was it was just like, but there's nothing, there's nothing out there whatsoever. There's still nothing. No, they actually they? um uh the main road that leads through 29 Palms, and you make a left 
and go toward the base. They've actually put a big ass um, casino right there. So you don't have to go down the hill anymore to that big casino, which oh, is a great. great idea. So now you've got bars, tattoo shops, barber shops, and uh, a casino for yeah what, what could go wrong like young marines to get, or a bunch of marines yeah like and i'm just like wow like that place has got to be i can't even imagine what it looks like now. i would not even I, I don't know man i've never been to 29 palms and i'm trying to make it a life goal to never go to 29 <laughs> palms it, it's uh <laughs> yeah it, it, i could like try and church it up and say oh it'd be a great experience but no that's not true there, there's nothing there to like oh i've got to go see that um the only thing that they have um that I kind of want to see, but there's just too many memories associated with it. Uh, they've got like a big memorial wall uh, built up there for all the people from there that died in Iraq and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So I think it would be cool to see, but I'm like, uh, you know what? <laughs> I've got photos. I've got memories. That's all I need. I don't need to worry about that. So. Yeah. Well, that wall wasn't there when you were there. No. Uh -uh. You know, that wasn't constructed while you're stationed there. So um, we're going to take a quick break. Sounds good. Yep. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get into, uh, I think we're about to go into your special going into the Iraq. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, you joined the Marines in 1995 and then you got out and you became a drill instructor for at at uh uh struggling youth and adults in the correctional system system and then that wasn't enough and uh you needed something more thrilling you became a state trooper and in the time you really uh saw a lot of death and one of the ways you coped is with alcohol um and did you did you uh actually get any help prior to going back into the marines to learn more co a different coping mechanism or was alcohol just your coping mechanism and you went in the Marines with that coping mechanism? Yeah. I basically took that, um, that, that mindset or, or lifestyle or, uh, um, as I like to refer to it, the, the Halloween mask, you know, kind of the, this is who I am like, you know, in front of people and this is who I am behind the scenes kind of thing. And, um, you know, just, I was just ready to go. And, uh, you know, we, jumped in the car off to 29 palms we went and uh that was gonna be a surprise too for me as i'm you know checking into the unit and doing all the fun stuff um i guess the you know the rear party or advanced party or whatever was there and you know we're, we're in formation at, and this this guy keeps staring at me like we were like old friends or something and i'm like i don't remember who this is like who the hell is this guy and um i, I was like I finally was just like, okay. I was like, do I know you? Like, why, why do you keep looking at me like that? He said, uh, and he was like home with like uh, his arm in a cast. So he, he was a purple heart recipient from the 04 deployment that they were on. And he was back. And I said, you know, how do I know you? And he was actually one of the guys um, at the adult boot camp. He, he had his uh, charges dismissed. It wasn't a felony or anything. Um, he was able to get a waiver joined the Marines, joined the infantry battalion, deployed, and I was back with a Purple Heart, but he wanted to, uh, you know, he saw how I was and how the other Marine Marines were that were drill instructors, and, and that's what he wanted to do. So he ended up joining the Marines, and, and here he was again um, in 29 Palms, and I was just like, 
Like what the fuck? So Dude, part of that 80% rate of success. Yeah. Jo- joined the know? military and, uh, yep. you know, went running and gunning in Iraq and, uh, you know, had a purple heart, but he was still, you know, excited to be there, still wanted to do his thing. And as soon as he healed up, he wanted to go back. But, um, you know, that deployment was almost over anyway. So obviously he was just going to heal up and stay there, but it was, uh, it, it that was, a, I just kind of shook my head in disbelief. I'm like, of all places, 29 palms, like, what are the chances, you know? And yeah. it, it was just, uh, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was just one of those things. Well, so. Well, 29 palms, dude, deployment's coming to end that you just got there. So you're not going on the deployment. When do you go on deployment, man? When is your, when is your first real experience? The first Start. real experience was going to be in um, September of 2005. So we were only going to be there, uh, God, June, July, September, uh, like a little over like 14 months, 15 months. Um, Beware. Uh, in 29 Palms. Oh, okay. Uh, so the next deployment, uh, I had joined the the infantry company. And once they got back, I was with the platoon. And I said, yeah, I, I did this in 95. I don't want to do this again. And sure enough, you know, as luck would have it, they said, uh, well, we need bodies in the scout sniper platoon. Um, you want to do the indoc? I'm like, let's go. Like, you know, I read all the cool books, Carlos Halfcock and the white feather sniper, all that crap, you know? And I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. And so they said, okay. Um, so ended up doing that indoc. Oh my God, probably seven months at this point before the deployment. And they're like, you're in, you know, you're going to be a uh, part of this team and, you're going to, you know, we're going to deploy to Ramadi, Iraq in September of 05. And uh, th- this is what you're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And you're going to be in charge of, um, you know, going over the wall first into the, you know, the hides where we, uh, where the snipers will hang out for a couple of days at a time. And they're like, you're going to be in charge of um, setting up the uh, early warning devices, you know, the flashbangs and the tripwire and all that stuff. And, and that's going to be your role um, with the sniper team. And then, of course, uh, you know, all that stuff. So we we trained like it never stopped. I mean, it was like six, five, six days a week we were doing stuff. Um, there's really not a weekend um, because we, we were just kind of on a fast learning curve where we had to um, all be ready to go because that deployment was coming, you know, fast and furious and and I knew we invaded Iraq, you know, in 03. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, 2005, another deployment, whatever, you know, um, I didn't even, I knew it was a war zone, but I didn't allow myself to think of it as like a war zone. You know what I mean? It was, it was kind of like, it was, it was there, but it wasn't there. Um, and, uh, it, and that was going to be quite the surprise, you know, in 05, but, um, yeah. So that's kind of how that whole started. And it was, uh, off to Iraq. So you go through all- yeah. You get to Iraq, man. You go through this training, man, to some intense shit, and you get to Iraq. What do you, you know, and you're like, nope, it's not a war zone. It's not that bad. And was it immediate change of like, mm, it's that bad? Within about 48 hours, it was the reality was there. Um, we, you know, flew into Kuwait, walked off the plane in September. It was nice and you know, cool and, you know, probably two in the morning. It was probably, you know, like 70 degrees outside. It's like, well, we just left California. This this, this place is better than 29 Palms. Like, what is this? Um, and, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. And, oh, shit. You know, the weather. That should tell you. <laughs> the, 
Uh, the weather was like, you know, really nice. I mean, it stunk, you know, that Iraqi stink. And I said, okay, well, this isn't too bad. You know, and I was excited to get off the plane. I mean, 18, 19 hours on a freaking plane. I was like, uh, no more. Uh, and so we hung out in Kuwait for maybe 10 hours. And then they put us on a, um, uh, the good old C-130 from Kuwait up to uh, TQ, which is right outside of uh, one of the biggest air bases in Iraq next to uh, Al-Assad. It was the big giant air base. Uh, we landed there. Um, you know, we we're going to spend uh, maybe two days there. And then we we're going to take the 46s from TQ into Camp Ramadi. And, you know, as we have all our gear on and we're, we're walking toward the helicopters, it was, I don't know, probably 11 o'clock at night. You know, the 46s are spinning off in the distance. It has that green tip light. So it looks like two like green um, like chem sticks like flying around, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool, you know. And uh, I remember, uh, and I put a part of this in the book, but I was sitting there watching the runway disappear underneath me, and I'm like, wow. And I, you just kind of got that sense. You're like, things are going to be really different. How different? I had no idea, but I just knew things were going to be different. And you know, we got to Camp Camp Ramadi. We were in Tent City. Um, you know, we had to do the relief in place with the new, you know, the outgoing unit, um, which the initials RIP, like who came up with that? Like, let's rip with the next unit, like rest in peace. Like that's a horrible thing to have in, in, in a war zone, like rip, like RIP, like that's ridiculous. Um, but we were there for two, three days. You know, the, the first night we were there, um, we we're sitting around playing cards, you know, no one could sleep because we just slept for the last 18 hours on that stupid planes, you know, and all of a sudden the counter battery started going off and, you know, the tent's shaking, just flying everywhere. And all of us who've never been on deployment before, like what, you know, thinking we're getting bombed and we're like, like diving for our flak jackets and thinking like, oh my God, we're getting bombed. Like what the hell? Um, and the senior guys are sitting there still playing cards, laughing their asses off like these idiots, you know, and like relax, it's counter battery, they're shooting out, um, uh, you know, the uh, patrol is taking fire, they're calling in artillery strikes on people, you know, it's a good thing that you hear that. Um, and, you know, got up and was like, ha, okay, that's funny, like, that's on me, that's ha, ha, ha. Um, but, you know, for the next few days, I would continue and, you know, you kind of like, ah, ah, you know, get that jumping feeling, but it wasn't, um, you know, it got better over time. I was like, okay, you know. Um, and then without giving too much of, uh, of the book away, you know, we were walking toward, a few days later, walking toward the uh, the cafeteria and, you know, a couple groups stopped at the uh, concrete barriers to smoke before going to the, uh, the you know, the cafeteria or whatever. And um, the group I was with was like, I was like, uh, you know, stop and smoke or, or smoke when I get back. I said, I'll smoke when I get back. Screw it. So I ran up and caught up with the group ahead of me. We weren't probably not even 200 yards away from where we, that concrete barrier where people stopped. Um, and we heard that like a loud explosion and we're like, all right, counter battery, who gives a shit? So we went in, ate, you know, started walking back, but we decided to go a different way um, back just to mix things up, break the monotony. And we get back and the area is just in chaos. And we're like, what? You know, like, what is going on? Like, what the hell? And they're doing accountability checks, like, hey, go find this person, go find this person. Well, the explosion that we heard was not 
uh, counter battery. It was actually a rocket from um, the enemy that came and hit literally right next to the counter battery, um, killing four and wounding like eight, eight others. Um, and we had the event in country like two weeks. That was the reality check where it was like, oh, sh like, you know, right from the jump, it's like, all right, here, you're supposed to be away from everything. This is like the, where all the big wigs hang out, you know, but this place isn't any safer than it's gonna be out in the city. So that was the jump start that the next seven months was gonna be hell. Um, that we lost someone that quick. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of the, the beginning of that deployment. So you, so you immediately just uh, two days into this, starting, you know, receiving losses in the teams, and yeah. uh, you know, and now you don't have, you haven't had a real sense of of combat, and you're like, fuck, this yeah, is like, my first interaction, and I haven't even broke the wire yet. Yeah, like, what is this next you know, seven months going to be? Exactly. So what happens, man? You go out after that. Now you, uh, now you. Obviously, we're going to retaliate. Obviously, we're going to plan a mission. We're going to yep. try to find people who are now that close to us to touch us and start killing people on this big base. That's supposed to be secure, especially with higher-ups and higher-ranking yeah, individuals. You usually have a little bit more secure base. <laughs> usually. But, usually, but they don't. And so you, you start gearing up for the mission, and what do you go? How do you go out there? What was your first taste in uh, warfare like? Yeah, we... Um... We ended up, uh, you know, doing the, the memorial where they do the, you know, the, the rifle, the boots, slamming into the box, all that stuff. And, you know, then we take, we go out into the city, we take over for the outgoing unit. They're out, we're in. Um, and the first, uh, you know, first couple times out of the city, you know, I, I, there's distinct memories of certain times where, you know, you're, you're leaving out of the wire at three in the morning. You've got these packs on that, you know, with all your gear, probably adding about 120 plus pounds of, of crap onto your back. And, uh, you know, we're out in the city. We know we're going to be out there for, you know, three to five days at a time. Uh, and, you know, we were always told, take enough, you know, ammo, grenades, claymores, whatever, because you need to sustain a firefight on your own for like 20 minutes before help could get there. So you were on your own for about 20 minutes in the middle of a city. Um, and how, so, how many people went out in your uh, low, like two or three or? Uh, there was six of us. Six? six. So, so six uh, people have to sustain a firefight for at least 20 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, which everybody on Call of Duty has probably done that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. this, isn't, this isn't Call of Duty. No, this is no. real life. And have you ever, did you ever get attacked where you had to sustain? Not not for for 20 minutes, but there was plenty of, plenty of, um, uh, close calls, uh, plenty of uh, IEDs that went off, you know, um, probably 50 feet away, you know, uh, when we're getting like driving in the vehicles, you know, having the IEDs going off, uh, you know, blowing out the hum, you know, the Hummer tires, uh, you know, patrolling into a hide. And, you know, we uh, went, we stacked up on this wall and thankfully over there, they had these big uh, like jammers, like it looks like a giant mushroom on a stick on the back of these vehicles. And we stacked up on this wall of an abandoned house, you know, thinking nothing of it, whatever. Um, I jumped over the wall. It's, you know, like Freddy Krueger, like perfect movie plot. This house was like battered and half of the building was gone. But, 
we were going to take over this house and I jumped over the wall. Everything was clear. We unlocked the, uh, the gate. The rest of the team came in. Um, and then me and one of the other guys started, you know, walking around, setting up the, um, you know, flashbangs, tripwires, things like that uh, for early warning devices in case someone jumped the wall. You know, we could only see so much. And those guys pulled away. And as we we're walking back toward the gate, uh, we're probably, I don't know, 10 feet at most. Uh, also, I, uh, I just remember seeing this bright flash and feeling like someone just kicked us in the chest, uh, went flying back. You know, we're like tucked up like this and gravel and rock and dirt is falling on us. And um, they there was where we had stacked up on the right side of the, uh, the gate, there was a giant uh, IED buried in the ground right next to that wall. And if those guys wouldn't have been there, like definitely would not have been here. So um, I was, uh, I think we both must've got knocked out because I remember, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I'm like, did you just hear that, uh, you know, that, that explosion, those people talking, like, did you hear that? He's like, dude, that was like 10 minutes ago. I was like, no, just right now. I just heard the explosion. So I, I, didn't even, I didn't even have a sense of what was going on. I was rattled, um, but you know, we radioed up and he asked if I was okay. I was like, yeah, I'm fine, dude, like whatever, you know, like let's do what we need to do. Let's get things set up. I had no concept of what just happened. Um, so I, I knew my head was hurting, but I was like, man, it's three in the morning. I'm tired, this place sucks. You know, I, I, was, just, I was rationalizing everything. I knew now, definitely a TBI concussion. I mean, I got knocked out, you know, um, but I was just like, eh, you know, it's gonna, it'll, it'll pass. You know, I'll take some Motrin when I get back, whatever. Motrin uh, cures everything. <laughs> yeah, 800 milligram Skittles, let's go. You know, yep. and, um, but then sure, you know, we, we ended up calling QRF back uh, to pick us up. Cause obviously if, if that IV went off, there was someone watching us that, that, you know, a trigger man. So we were, we were compromised. We needed to go back. Well, as we got closer back to the base, I remember feeling like sick at my stomach. I'm like, ugh. But figured, you know, it's four in the morning. I'm tired. I haven't eaten. It must be that, you know, and uh, told my corpsman, I'm like, hey, doc, I need some Motrin. He's like, you know, here's a bag. He's like, don't take more than, you know, two or, you know, two or three Motrin at a time, you know, that kind of thing. And so I was popping like 1600 milligrams of Motrin, like every couple, you know, every four hours, five hours. Um, and I tried to eat, but it made me sick. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to sleep. Stupid decision. You know, I, I was like, I didn't think, I didn't know any better at the time. So, uh, but there was multiple, multiple things like that, um, where, where those different experiences happened. Um, and then of course, you know, there's, uh, a few more in the book, uh, that I wrote, you know, a few of the different like combat stories and the combat missions, uh, where we had a, uh, a lead vehicle hit a IED that flipped it upside down and the, um, the driver was killed instantly. The, the gunner was pinned underneath the, the 50 cal machine gun. His oil and gas was piling up. You know, he's like, the corpsman like had half his leg severed, um, but he like crawled over there and put a straw in the, in the gunner's mouth so he could breathe it through the oil and gas. Um, and, and that took uh, three of the five people in that vehicle um, you know, passed away either then or when it, they got back to the hospital. So it, it was, um, you know, right from the get go. And what is so astonishing to me is 
even when I got back to the States and got out and, you know, doing the med board and all that, the BA, you know, asked, well, what deployments were you on? And I would tell, oh, the 05 deployment reminds she's like, oh, you know, and even the VA people knew about it. I was like, shit, like it must have been so, worse than I thought. So you went on that. That was your first and last deployment. No, I, I, I wish. No, uh, yeah. we, um, you know, I did that that deployment from September. So, so hold on, go back to the Ramadi deployment in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. That was probably one of the hardest, probably deployments in probably the Iraq history war, right? It, it was. Yeah, Ramadi was hell. Um, during there was different wars, kind of like Fallujah. There was different like battles sure. um, through Ramadi. But during our deployment, um, there had never been an election. The Taliban was running rampant through the city. Um, there, it was just the Wild West. Um, the city was blacklisted um, after we had a Cobra shot down that killed two pilots. Um, both pilots in a Cobra attack helicopter got shot down in the city. I mean, it was like Black Hawk down. I mean, it, not to that extreme but it was just it was it was chaos i mean it was it was non-stop um of exactly what you would expect war to be i mean it was just the city we had fets flying overhead dropping bombs we had um you know people getting uh killed by snipers ieds uh you know v-bids going off at different locations i mean it, it was just it was miserable you know for seven months it was just um absolute hell we ended up losing from the beginning of the deployment to the end of the deployment just our um battalion so just third battalion seventh marines not like the eod teams you know we lost a few eod guys we lost some pilots we lost um but just our battalion was uh, 14 i think 14 killed and 30 plus injured in that seven month period and you know just in that just in our like um battalion you know just our small battalion um and so uh, they even had the uh, a recruiting event where they were trying to recruit um you know iraqi police and iraqi soldiers and uh, they actually came during the event there was 70 plus people packed into like a bas- high school basketball gym if you will and some guy was able to get in with a suicide vest on full of ball bearings, detonated himself, killing all 70 people uh, in this basketball court. Um, and thankfully I didn't have to, but a lot of my friends went to help sort the chaos and they were given black trash bags and shovels and said, go try and decipher American versus Iraqi and separate the body parts and put them in these black bags and get them out of there. So I mean, it was like putting leaves into a black bag back here in the States. And I was just like, oh. So, I mean, it, it was that kind of deployment. It, it, it didn't stop until we left in March of uh, 06. Wow. Wow. So you, I mean, it sounds like you went through hell in that deployment, man. Uh, and that's one of the, probably one of the most referred to times in yeah. Iraq, right? It's a 2005, 2005 um uh, 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 Ramadi, you know, invasion there. So, uh, you came back, uh, obviously you've seen a lot of shit over there. Um, but you still have other trauma that you've dealt with through your life that you are, that's gone through your life that you haven't dealt with. So how did this affect you? Uh, did you go back to that same coping mechanism, mechanism of, uh, 
Oh yeah, Duncan? probably, but to, to like a whole other level. I mean, it, it was it would be nothing to on a weekend um, get you know a, a thirty pack and me and some guys sitting around playing like John Madden, you know, going through um, you know a thirty pack, waking my wife up at like one in the morning, saying, "Hey, we need more." You know, next morning waking up at ten o'clock in the morning, already drinking a beer, just to just to cope to even sleep. Like there was just no, I couldn't fall asleep if I wasn't like passing out essentially. Um, but I figured, oh, I was just you know, uh, this deployment, this thing would it'll pass. Um, you know, over time, and it wasn't passing over time at all. But we were back for oh God, I don't know three months probably and I was absolutely miserable I was like this and of course 29 palms wasn't helping but I was absolutely miserable during this deployment you know during this time being in the states being around my wife and normalcy really I was like this sucks I hate this um, and we just found out the unit that relieved us was now combat ineffective because they came out of one of the bases and lost like 25 people in a day um and so they, they needed reinforcements and I was like, hmm. And before I could even like sign up, you know, a few hours later they came back and like, hey, we got all the people we need. I was like, damn it. You know, I, I, I wanted to go back and as luck would have it, the second battalion, seventh Marines uh, were deploying in January of 07 and they needed some bodies. So I was like, yes. So I battalion hopped so I could deploy seven months after I got back, seven, eight months after I got back from the 05 deployment, just because I wanted to be, you know, over there. I just wanted to be in Iraq. I didn't want to deal with the normal day-to-day, -day, everyday life stuff. I just didn't want to. So um, as luck would have it, join them January of 07. Uh, how, how did your wife feel about that? She, she wasn't happy, but I think she understood uh, she just knew that um, she didn't know what was wrong uh, and I said you know I, I think I can go over there and seek justice right the wrong per se which is never going to happen but that was my mindset like I was like oh if I deploy I can you know um, you know a guy in his gun can go like save the west you know and, and that was my my thought process that I could just go redeploy I could um you know, right the wrong of all the people who died, you know, things like that. And it, it was, logically, it was stupid. Like, it, looking back at it, I'm like, you know, like, what am I thinking kind of thing, but... Uh, but at the time, it was rational. You can rationalize yeah, it. Yeah, like, during you know? that time, I, I could definitely rationalize it. And I was like, uh, yeah, so we deployed to Fluj, Iraq. I was... Uh, going to be basically the armory um the custodian guy to help you know with the weapons if they got you know messed up um it was going to be collateral duty i would take the you know weapons and exchange them for them you know if they got messed up but i was like oh you know the army guy in the 05 deployment didn't do anything really so i was like that's my life this is going to be great to you know go out on missions and you know come back and take care of this this is going to be the greatest thing ever but um you know that that was Another reality that wasn't the case because, you know, a couple months into the deployment, we, you know, had a vehicle drive over a propane um, enhanced IED and basically, you know, blew up. It was so hot that it melted the 50 cal receiver into like a blob of metal. 
Um, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen. So it. we, you know, and then of course here comes all these rifles, and you've got to clean them out um, and spray them off with the water hose before the, you know, they would take them to be destroyed, which was always like, why? Like, who gives a crap? You know. But um, nonetheless, you know, you're sitting there spraying the stuff off, watching the blood puddle, you know, off these weapons uh, from all these guys that you know that just died, you know, uh, and all that. So we uh, did that deployment, um, but I quickly realized, you know, halfway through that deployment, that we were there January to, was it July, I guess, uh, was gonna be when we were coming back. And I was talking to my wife on the phone and and she said, you know, your enlistment's about up. You need to decide if you're gonna stay, you know, stay in. Cause the whole tone of, um, you know, staying until you retire was starting to kind of shift a little bit, even with her. Uh, Just because these two deployments were, um, you know, the first one we lost all those people. This one we probably lost, oh God, I don't know, 10, 15, probably out of our, you know, our area. Um, and it, I was just like, God, you know, 30 plus people in, in two deployments, like, um, it was just tough, you know, and we, uh, what was it? So I decided, do I stay in the infantry, take the reenlistment bonus that they were doing back then, uh, and knew I was going to redeploy or should I change jobs and I can, you know, now I'm away from the infantry. I can go be a helicopter crew chief and not have to worry about the infantry stuff, I can redefine myself. And so I said, you know, I'm going to re-enlist. I'm going to go be a crew chief. I'm tired of uh, walking around, you know, with all this heavy weight on. I'll just walk out to the helicopter and fly. That's going to be, that's going to be awesome. Shoot guns off the helicopter. What could be better? Uh, So within uh, a couple months of being back from the 07 deployment, not getting any help, not fixing anything that's wrong with me or anything going on with me or my wife or anything like that. Uh, I We made the move to Camp Pendleton. So now it's gonna be near the ocean. The view is gonna be way better than it ever was at 29 Palms. Uh, and so- Man, that's like night and oh day. Oh God, it was, it was like uh, going from Antarctica to like Hawaii. I mean, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up checking in um, to the training squadron there, uh, uh, right next to 369, the gunfighters, you know, which is um, a pretty well-known uh, helicopter squadron. Um, and as it turned out, that helicopter squadron that I now was part of was the helico- helicopter squadron that was flying our close air support in 2005. So it completely another, here goes another full circle. And I'm like, man, what, the, you know, like what is going on? Uh, but that, you know, that was great. And of course, being in the new helicopter squadron, you know, learning all the new mechanical aspects, the flying aspects, the the shooting, you know, all this other stuff. Um, 2010 was coming. Uh, the May 2010, we were going to uh, Helmand Province, Afghanistan. And we would deploy during that time, um, which that was, uh, that was another, <clears throat> uh, that was another weird deployment. You know, that was just, it was, Uh, night and day you know it was 12 hours on 12 hours off uh, and that was going to be the thing for the whole seven months I mean there was going to be no um, no rest really for the wicked Uh, it was going to be middle of the summer so it was going to be 100 and 
40 degrees outside during the day. Uh, you know, and so, and I was trying to sleep from noon to the midnight shift, you know, sleeping in these little- <laughs> The hardest part yeah, of the, the day. Yeah, the canvas tents with those little stupid wall AC things that always froze up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you may wake yeah. up in a puddle of sweat and you're like, what? you know, um, and we ended up flying, oh my God, what was it? 9,700 flight hours in seven months or something like that, which at the time I had no idea what that meant. I was like, 9,700 hours, okay, whatever. But within two weeks of starting that deployment, uh, my best memory of that was all the crew chiefs and all the pilots stood in the formation in front of um, the flight surgeon who basically signed off on everybody and said, do you understand the risks of, you know, going beyond what's allowed, what is considered safe to fly uh, as a pilot and a crew chief? You know, there's certain numbers you don't want to exceed because it just becomes the, um, the risk reward becomes really skewed. Um, and we're like, yeah, 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 we're good, we're good, we're good. And they literally, he signed everyone into a waiver um, and we were on a uh, flight waiver from the middle of May to October of 2010, we were about to go home. We were just flying a waiver. Pilots were like falling asleep, sitting there. Um, I, I, it was crazy. It, it was, the pace was was asinine, um, but it was, uh, that, that was a great deployment. I had, uh, it was amazing. So. Yeah, we might have seen each other over there. Yeah, maybe, uh, we were time. in um, Helmand Province, so Marja, uh, huh? the Kajaki Dam, Sangin. Uh, we flew yep. up and down the missions. You know, the bridge just turned over Sangin to uh, uh, the Americans not long before that deployment. So, I mean, it was just constant firefights. I mean, we were flying four or five QRF or mission, convoy escort missions a day during that 12 hour shift. Yep. I mean, it, it was just, it, that, that one was chaotic. Uh, it was, uh, but the hardest thing to swallow during that deployment is uh, all the battalions that I had been with, 3727, were uh, on the ground fighting and we were close air support for those guys. So full circle again, and a lot of the guys I knew were still part of that squadron. Or I mean, not part, of, I'm sorry, part of those battalions that were fighting underneath me. And I was like, man, like, so you hear about it, you know, someone dying or anything like that, you're like, God, I hope it's not. And you wait for the, you know, the ticker tape to come across and, um, you know, there was a few snipers that I knew who, who were killed um, over there. I mean, there was just a lot. So, um, but the primary mission was also to escort uh, Pedro and Dustoff in to, to scoop and go, um, things like that. We did some medevac escort, you know, medevacs ourselves to take the fallen out and drop, take them back to the mortuary affairs. Uh, it, it just, it was, it was chaos for seven months. But, uh, so let's see what after that. Then came back from that deployment, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was about re-enlistment time again, and they said, uh, "Congratulations!" I'm like, "Congratulations!" Um, got promoted to E6, so I was excited about that. I'm like, "But we got better news for you." I'm like, "What can be better? Like, am I gonna get like more qualifications or what?" And they're like, "Recruiting duty." I was like, "What?" Uh -oh. So uh, deployment to recruiting duty. Um, recruiting duty sucked. I hated it. Um, you know, two, two years into that, uh, it, all the past appointments caught up. I was like, I've got to give you all the time in the world to drink. 
Oh yeah, and my body started shutting down because I was, you know, now behind a desk, so my body could like recoup itself, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I finally hit the wall. I was just like, I'm, I'm done with all this. Like I can't do it. Uh, so finally, help was gonna come, and uh, I was sent to the Wounded Warrior Battalion here in San Antonio to start the surgeries, the rehab, the the. So how did you know? How did you know it was time to get help, and how did that help come? Uh, it was the help came by really. I knew it was time when I just I didn't even recognize myself. I couldn't look myself in the mirror and be like, "Oh yeah," you know. I, I was just kind of like a um, this version of myself that I I was like, "No, I I can't be this person." Um, you know, my wife had um, we had just been through a, a, a miscarriage. I was. Um, I told my wife, I was like, she was on her own to deal with the miscarriage. I was going to be at the office working until midnight. You know, I, I just, I was just a horrible version of myself. And the straw that broke the camel's back is I actually asked for help and the recruiting command was like, oh, you're just stressed. You don't need anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I told my, the therapist that I was seeing, I said, if I don't get help, this command, I'm going to go down there. I was a scout sniper for a long time. I know how to do this. I was like, I will set up in the parking garage, shoot them in the face, and and that's gonna be the end of it. And they're like, yeah, you're gonna get help. So they uh, they put me in a like an inpatient detox place for uh, six weeks, and it was it was all about that. Where um, yeah, like I was just at my wit's end. Uh, so you're getting help not only for PTSD at the time. Or maybe you weren't even there for PTSD. Maybe you were there to get help with your, you know, uh, alcohol problem, right? Yeah, was it, that the main, it was main, a, main focus. Alcohol problem or the PTSD? PTSD and then the alcohol was a dual. It was a dual yeah. thing. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, six weeks like inpatient, like lockdown, um, like that was it. Like that was gonna be my world for uh, the next six weeks, and uh, then from there they put me into uh, the wounded warrior battalion where I was going to go through you know multiple surgeries back surgery uh, sinus surgery uh, CBI's testing uh, cognitive te- like all kinds of crap uh, I was going to become like and I joke about it but I was like I was like a lab monkey you know like going from one um, one clinic to another to ortho to neurosurgeon to this person to that person I mean it was just that was my whole world was was going to medical appointments and I hated it, but I said, ah, you know, like, what am I gonna do? You know, I, I need to get fixed up, but, and I knew my body had taken a beating over the last, you know, uh, from what, 04 to 15, so last, what, 11, 12 years. Um, I said, but damn, like, I didn't know it was this bad. You know, you, you finally kind of slow down and take a look and see the totality of everything. And I was like, wow, you know, my, my body kept the score you know, like that book says, and it, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was just starting to look, I was like, oh, I'm gonna fix up, I'm gonna go back to a squadron, deploy at least three more times before I have to retire. Uh, but the military was like, uh-uh, <laughs> uh, we're gonna medically retire you, you know, you're done, thanks for playing, um, but it's time to go. And in 2015, it was time to go. So, wow, so they medically retire you. They said, hey man, thank you for your service. Uh, Here's your uh, check, you know, uh, and thanks for playing the game. Now, 
you're kind of now you're back in this mode of like well that's over now i have to rebuild but yeah when you got that help did that did you stay in that kind of program in that mindset while you were exiting out of the military or did you yeah like i i stayed okay. uh, i stayed on the kind of like on track for a little while uh but during that whole time you know i wasn't able to drive wasn't able to do anything for my to a degree i was i was no longer depend like independent i was dependent upon like so many factors you know after my back surgery i needed help with everything after different surgeries i needed help um you know my knees were like mush so i had a hard time like walking so i was on crutches you know going from running and gunning to now i'm crutching around i'm just miserable i stayed in in counseling but it was more of like okay yeah cool i, I know the story therapist person you know i i so i, I slowly kind of would trickle back into the bad side but then like pull my you know my wife would pull me out of it um but after a while all the stress and the beating uh that i was putting her through all the deployments the ptsd hell the the drinking the just everything um she finally reached a breaking point and she ended up uh um you know committing suicide but thankfully it didn't uh you know she woke up from it and you know she's uh She's doing doing great things now, but she. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. The the side effect of what you're going through, and the because that's stressful. That's something that's not talked about. Yeah, is the other side of this. Mm -hmm. You went through a hell of a lot, but what people don't understand is you're going through a hell of a lot. So is your wife because your wife is actually dealing with it just the same as you are. Yeah, absolutely. you know, That's... but on a different scope because she's trying to be there and that strong backbone for you. Mm -hmm. so, and in turn, she wasn't getting help. Nope. She was just having to internally cope with this, and uh, she wasn't using alcohol or drugs or anything like that. So she's just taking all this in. Yep. And finally, she just she hit that wall and. Uh, yeah, she, um, you know, took a bunch of pills and thankfully, you know, the ambulance got there in time. We got her pumped stomach, you know, she went into uh, uh, some treatment as well for herself. And, you know, she's uh, she's doing great things now. She's a, um, you know, a military family but, therapist. But how was that for you seeing this? At first I was, you know, um, I, was, I was super angry that you know like how can you know I, I the poor me kind of syndrome which was really messed up uh, I was like how can you know she be dealing with this you know I'm the one who deployed and did it and I never stopped for a second to think about you know what is this how is this impact over the last uh, 13 years of just non-stop chaos um, for her I didn't stop to think like man you know what she's gone through just as much as i have and all the hell that i put her through i kind of blamed everything on you know her oh it was her you know and she could she should have been stronger all this other stuff you know i was really like um the self-pity nonsense until uh you know i really started thinking i was like god almighty like she deployed just as much she you know was waiting by the phone every door you know, knock on the door, it could be someone saying that, you know, I was dead. You know, I, I really had to finally take that step back and really see the bigger picture. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, like 
she went through just as much uh, as I did, so maybe even worse, because she's has to be strong, has to be this. She wasn't drinking, not taking drugs. She she had no recourse, no help, um, and that was the end result. And I, after that, was really like, okay, you know, we we, we sat down and we really you know, evaluated everything. And I said, God, you know, not thinking about it, but I had a huge part in this too. You know, she made the decision to do it, but I like, I damn sure didn't help, um, you know, alleviate the pressure that I was putting her through. And it was, uh, yeah, that was really hard. You know, it, it was just like, um, but coming out of that, I think has made us um, so much stronger as well. And, you know, in May or May, December of uh, last year, we hit our uh, 23 year anniversary. So we've gone through all of this hell and still going strong. She's now a therapist helping people. Uh, I'm helping people. Uh, and it- so, so she went through this, uh, obviously going through all the traumatic events, you know, and living a different war, you know, the spousal war, you know, from a combat veteran and almost taking her own life and then you guys still were able to maintain this this relationship you know because i mean probably the time frame you know from you going back into the marines to you know coming and getting medically retired there was probably a lot of not real relationship there right no, it, it, it uh, was until you got help yeah you know and then even then you still probably played the played that role of like i mean and you know rightfully so like damn i'm worth nothing i was a marine i was kicking indoors saving lives yeah now and what am i crutching around and you know so that that's an element of depression that is that's real mm-hmm. you know because you feel helpless you know but on the back side of this you're projecting that onto her yep. and there's nothing she can no, do. no nothing and she just she had to take it and you know during the uh the helicopter squadron uh deployment you know, all of um, all the guys I was serving with knew I was infantry. So they're like, oh, man, if we get shot down, you know, we hope you're with us because you're going to know what to do. I'm like, I- I'm cool, dude. I don't want to be shot down. You know, <laughs> like, no. And <laughs> yeah, I- uh, or every time that the, the families back home would hear anything, they would all lean on my wife. Be like, hey, you know, because they knew she had survived two infantry deployments. So they would hit her up. So there was just no peace so- at all. So she's carrying this burden of the whole squadron yeah. too. She was like the family readiness. So it wasn't just no. you. It was a whole squadron. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. And she took just a uh, just a, a beating, like a constant beating from both sides. And, you know, I was taking the beating from the deployment, not wanting to, you know, uh, be the, like the husband role thing. I, I didn't want to deal with society. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was just, a, sure. it was crazy. So you both went through this, you got help, you're now clean sober Mm -hmm. you know she got help and now she's doing great things you know you had a couple different post-military careers right you worked for the dea worked for the dea uh as a uh uh, evidence custodian which was you know a lot of fun i got to see a lot of uh you know from the federal law enforcement perspective uh you know i wanted to be the the door kicker still even after i retired you know, I was like, oh, I want to be a special agent. I want to, you know, go arrest uh, um, John Gotti and all this other crap, you know. And I was, um, you know, told that, the, you know, due to your TBIs, due to your hearing is completely foobarred, you know, your your vision has gotten bad, you know, like all this stuff. They're like, 
they're like the PTSD, the medication, they're, they're like, they're, no, there, there's no way um, you're going to get cleared to be a special agent. So I was really pissed, but I kind of went against um, everyone saying you can't do things um, they're like, oh, you're TBI, you know, you're going to be, um, you're just going to be a bumbling idiot. You know, even military doctors were telling me this, like due to your TBIs and your cognitive uh disorder now because all just the brain is just scrambled because of all the IEDs. Uh, they're like, you're not going to be successful in jobs, education, marriage, you know, all that stuff. And I said, well, I said, we'll see about that. You know, like screw you. And I've always been that way. You can tell me you're not going to be able to do this. Well, watch this, you know, and oh, my coffee. Yeah, ex exactly. And I, uh, you know, I, I went out and got a a bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree in forensic psychology. So I like, I always like to look into like what makes people tick, you know, in their mind and stuff like that. So, you know, graduated uh, with almost a 4.0 in my master's program, been married, you know, 22 plus years, um, you know, and still have a full time job where I'm helping people as well. So, um, you know, and all the other little accolades that I've got to do over time, um, you know, it's, it's just been a great. Um, great experience, you know, and I've, I've, I've really wanted to use all my, um, you know, from when I was in, in the nineties, all the way to, to today, I really wanted to use my experiences to help those who, you know, maybe help families see like, why is my son, daughter, brother, blah, 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 acting the way he's acting, you know, after these deployments, like what's wrong with him? Like, why is he not talking to me? Well, here's why. You know, take a take a look at this. Take it from the outside perspective. You know, don't make the same mistakes I did. Make your own mistakes if you need to, but utilize my missteps to better your life. And, and I think that's what um, you know. A lot of the stuff that I've done since being out, I think, has really helped a lot of people. Um, it is probably the greatest thing um, I could have ever imagined. Like I just I could never imagine that my stories would help others. But I, uh, from what I've been told by others, it, it's helped a lot of people. So it's pretty amazing. Absolutely, man. It's service after service. You know, it's to serve after you serve. That yeah. that is a, that's a huge thing, man. And yeah, definitely, back. absolutely, man. Absolutely. Especially what you've been through, you know, not only on your, on your law enforcement side, but also on your military side and your relationship side. You know, there's a lot sure. of experience that you can relate to a lot of different people and to help them through their trials and tribulations in life. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, uh, so what do you do now for fun, man? What, what's, uh, what's some of the shit you do for fun? I know you ride bikes, you know, motorcycles. Yeah. You know, uh, do the motorcycle thing, um, uh, still work out. I mean, it's still kind of a passion despite the next day I'm going to be really sore and I'm going to hurt, mm -hmm. but. Um, I'm actually a, uh, high school and college level, uh, you know, the division two, II, division three college. So, um, you know, the lower level, but still a lot of fun, uh, college football official where I'm, you know, on the side, like running around watching, um, you know, got throwing the flag that everyone boos, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And, but it, uh, you know, that really keeps me engaged, keeps me active, keeps me, you know, around, um, you know, around the game of football. And I just, I love it. You know, it, it's yeah. so much fun. Keeps me in shape. Um, do a lot of uh, like, you know, maintenance work on my motorcycle and for others that bring their bikes over, you know, I'll help them, you know, excuse me. 
uh, wrench on their bikes and, you know, help uh, so they don't have to take it to Harley dealerships and get gouged over the the coals. Right. I mean, that's uh, what happens, you know, oil change, 150 bucks. Like what? Yeah. Seriously. Come on. And I'll, and I'll do, you know, get the oil for, you know, like the um, transmission primary, you know, all that and do oil changes in the garage for, you know, they'll buy all the oil for like 60 bucks and bring it over and, you know, we'll hang out and, you know, drink a beer or whatever. And, um, you know, send them on their way happy and, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, help people put in, um, take down old doors, put in new doors, you know, just, just anything I can do to help people out. Um, you know, and now, uh, my current job, you know, is, is helping with, uh, uh, doing VA claims with, uh, with people is another thing that is just absolutely, um, amazing to bring in these people that are, either Vietnam War era bets that, you know, never have done a claim before, or, you know, they were denied certain conditions because the new law came out and now they, the PACT Act and the burn pits and stuff like that, you know, helping them do that, uh, helping families do the uh, death benefit paperwork, uh, you know, it really helping them and not charge, you know, charging, because there's a lot of places around uh, San Antonio, around the U.S. that people can go to but they're they're charging these bets like thirty percent of their their rating that they get, and I'm like that that's that's asinine. Like thirty percent for the life of that, like every every month they're paying thirty percent, or is it just one lump thing? Uh, just one lump thing. So okay. let's say you know someone gets back paid uh you know yep. thirty grand, they just made ten yeah off the better, and I'm like that, and I get it. Everyone has to make a living, but yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're making plenty of money paid by the, the county and I'm able to, um, do this stuff and help people out. And, you know, cause a lot of people don't want to deal with the VA. They're like, sure. screw the VA. I don't yeah. want to, um, but then they come see us and we, we do all the paperwork, you know, from the asking for an increase appeals, um, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely, um, man. That's good. It's, it's, it's just great. Like I love, um, I love doing the job. It it keeps me, you know, around military veterans. Um, you know, some I'm like, like, you don't really need to be here, dude, like go somewhere else. But I try not to judge, but you know, sometimes it's hard. Yeah. You know, you hear their story and you're like, okay, dude, you know, like, yeah, they don't know who they're sitting across. Yeah. You Um, know, and so it's, uh, you know, it's sometimes hard. And then sometimes you, you know, you start talking to people and, uh, like yourself, you know, you and I maybe were in Afghanistan around the same time, same area. You know, you start meeting people who were in Iraq during the same time you were. And then you can start kind of telling, you know, talking about stuff and talking about past stuff. And, and it helps. And then, uh, you know, then, of course, like you mentioned from the, the beginning, um, wrote the uh, wrote that book, which <laughs> I'm still dumbfounded that that even took place. Well, you know, I, What book are you talking about, man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> The, uh, you know, the book that you mentioned, uh, Terror to Triumph, um, you know, when I was working, uh, right when COVID first started, <clears throat> I was, uh, you know, sitting around, you know, because you could no one could leave their house. I mean, yeah. it, was, it just sucked, the new flu, but I mean, it was COVID, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all the, have our opinions about it. Yeah, like the, the vaccine that's going to cure the world. It's like, come on, Dustin Hoffman made this stuff. Like, what do we outrage, you know, <laughs> about the monkey and all this stuff? You know, it's like, come yeah. on. 
um, this, but this is the new Dustin Hoffman, but no, but, um, yeah. you know, started sitting around and I noticed and talking with my wife, a lot of the, the stories and the memories of these different deployments were starting to fade due to the TBI and mm-hmm. not that I'm getting any younger, but, you know, things started to fade and details were, you know, being limited. So she's like, well, you've got time, you know, why don't you just do like a, uh, like, like, kind of like a diary. She's like, just write it out. And I'm like, all right, whatever. You know, that's a good idea. So I started typing up all these stories, talking to people like, Hey, do you remember this? You know, what happened? So I would type about that. And, you know, I've got this hundred and, you know, 220 pages of, of just whatever. And I said, okay, well, cool. Now I've got this. And she said, well, why don't you send it in to see if it could see if it would be published. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, are you kidding me? Like, um, knuckle dragon infantry guy, you know, door gunner, crew chief, you know, like who the hell wants to read stories about that? I said, there's a million, you could go to Barnes and Noble right now and pick up what 50 books on, you know, the deployments, Iraq, Afghanistan. I mean, there's, there's a hundred of them. And I said, no one wants to read another, um, you know, American sniper or, um, you know, the lone survivor, uh, uh, you know, or, or any of those like Black Hawk Down. No one wants to read those those stories again. Like, there's just there's movies, there's book. No one wants to do that. And she said, "Yeah, but your book or your memories are not just deployment. It's talking about yeah, being on the deployment. You know, five or six missions of hundreds of missions. Uh, but I really focused on like coming back home. I wanted to bring the family." dynamic into the book to help people understand, you know, it's, uh, and my favorite line is it's okay to not be okay. You know, I really wanted to drive home that, you know, deployment, you know, coming home, the 22 a day, the, the drinking all the time, the isolating, you know, why is that happening? What families, friends, loved ones can do to help their person and help themselves to not get, into that 20 be a statistic or have a family member commit suicide and you know the cycle that people get in deploy home deploy home deploy home um and i really wanted to utilize that book for for that purpose and it's really unbelievable how many people have picked up the book um have written great reviews about the book you know saying i'm glad it's not just another war story it's real life, like what happens, you know, during the non-deployment times. It's when the war, when the real war begins. Yeah, like fighting for yourself. Uh, you know, right in front of the book, you know, it talks about the hardest battle is, you know, with yourself um, being back home. It's not even the battle being on deployment um, because you, you get in a routine. You know, it, it's there's a chance, yes, but you don't think about it. You know, if you, well, you're in that mindset. Yeah, you, you have this mindset that you're in on deployment that mm-hmm. you don't have when you're at home. Yeah. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You know, you have no control over it. You have no, it, it's the no controlling chaos is easier than controlling normal day-to-day life uh, that everyone does, you know, leave, go to home, work, family, kids, you know, it, it's easier deployed. Um, and so the book um, really kind of paints that picture from, the nineties to now. And it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely been a, a great thing. I've had, you know, past military guys that I've worked with in, you know, 2007 deployment 
guy lives in New York. He called me up and he said, you know what? I was just reading this book and I didn't realize you were the one who wrote it. And I said, yeah, dude. He's like, and he's like, man, like reading some of those stories, like it really helped. But he said, I wanted to thank you for writing it because everyone told me that like someone needs to write a book about this stuff and like really help people. But no one wanted to write the book. No one wanted to put themselves out there. And I said, you know, I, I, I just wrote it down. I, I didn't think anyone would like it or, or want to read it or anything like that. But uh, this guy from New York called me and said, I read the book. I gave it to my kids and my ex-wife, who we've been estranged for, uh, God, like 10 years, 13, you know, 10 to 13 years or something like that. They have no relationship whatsoever. They were just completely apart because they didn't understand why dad was drinking, isolating, just anger outbursts. Like they read the book and after, you know, reading the book and, and family dynamic stuff, they, um, they're like rebridging that gap and they're like back together. And it's actually helped pull a whole family back together. And I'm like, Holy, you know, like, dude, that's amazing, man. Like mind blown. And, uh, so where do they find the book at? Uh, you can find the book on uh, anywhere that you um, look at look for books. Um, like Amazon, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Walmart, uh, Kindle? Audible, Walmart, Target.com. Um, it's uh, yeah. If, if you Google, like put in a Google search, "Terror to Triumph," uh, Chris Whittemore, it will pull up literally eight pages of Google places where you can like, click on it and, and see this book. It's available in Australia, Germany, uh, Japan, uh, like all over. It, it's my mind. But you also have what else that you can get. That's about your book and about you. A t-shirt, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, the grunt style thing. And I'm kind of rocking it right now. That is man. That's it right there. I yep. recognize it. Yep. It's uh, and it's the cover of the book is on the back of, uh, of the shirt. It was, it was a three week special through grunt style. Um, and we haven't got a chance to talk about this yet, but I just submitted, uh, God, maybe two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I submitted my, all my paperwork to the state of Texas to create a, um, an LLC under, the name Terror to Triumph. I'm actually going to make it. It's going to be an LLC. Um, and we're going to start doing, you know, kind of like yourself. Uh, and we could probably talk more about this later. But, you know, the shirts, mugs, bags, you know, all the LLC type stuff. Um, but our real future goal is we're going to use the Terror to Triumph LLC to start my wife um, private practice in, you know, helping military families as a therapist. She's going to have a company under that title and we're going to start giving, you know, a percentage back to the different, uh, uh, like wounded, not wounded warrior project per se, but you know, different, uh, different charities, different charities and organizations. And we really just want to give, um, you know, give back and, uh, all that stuff. So that's going to be, uh, available soon. As soon as we get the green light, um, you know, I'm going to post that and we'll, we'll talk more about it too. And, you know, how maybe we can collaborate and, and do stuff together. Um, yeah. And, it, and we can always come up with a follow-up, do a quick follow-up, you know, <laughs> when you do that, start forming it Yeah, and, and put that stuff out there, man. So that's coming. So, so more shirts, you know, more shirts. Is it still available on grunt style? It, it's not because it was only a three week thing, but hopefully in okay. the next, um, you know, next month, th- there'll be the, uh, 
you know, the shirts, um, it's going to be the same kind of design, but the different, uh, different logo and stuff like that. But we're going to keep, we're going to still keep the, like the front patch thing, but instead of grunt style, it's going to be that, like the LLC design uh, that we did. It's going to be your, it's going to be your logo. Yeah. And so we're going to start doing that. And um, yeah, it's just, it's in two, well, hell in, in 95, when I first graduated high school and joined the Marines, if you would have told me, by the time I was 40 something years old, I'd have a, a book, a LLC in the works. Uh, no, hell no. <laughs> yeah, you say go fly a kite yeah. in, the rain, in the thunderstorm, buddy. Yeah, you, you, there was just absolutely no way. And, uh, but um, what, what throws me off too is, is these guys who I've never met in, and I would never have met, you know, are, are, are sending me messages. Hey, we picked up your book from, you know, uh, our, son was an, uh, in the Australian military. He was deployed to Iraq. He was, you know, uh, wounded and we gave this book and all this stuff. And it, I'm just like, I just can't fathom it. It's just, it's just so much, um, that I occasionally need to kind of step back and be like, what is going on? You know, like, but I don't want to stop the wave, but I don't want to no. throw myself into a tailspin either. So it's kind of like finding that balance. Dude, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Chris, you know, how we end this show, man, is uh, what makes you a badass. And the reason why you are a badass, my friend, is because you truly went to terror. You went to battle. You became addicted to the battlefield. Your addiction led to trials and triumphs at home. You, my friend, have truly been through terror and came out of triumph. Not only have you sustained a lot of trauma in your mil- in your military career, your law enforcement career, but it's you who stepped out and said, I needed help. And if you recognize the signs, if you did not get help, you wouldn't be here today. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. Dude. You're a badass. You're a badass for helping yourself out. You're a badass for helping your wife out and for you guys to get healthy and you to continue to serve our veterans after your service. My friend, you are a badass. Yeah. Thank thank you. And, you know, um, uh, people, please, you know, if you know somebody who's struggling, you're struggling, whatever, like it's, um, I always tell people it's, it's not what you did or what got you to a certain point. It's what you do from this point forward that really is going to define you. Um, you're a much stronger person for asking for help than not. And it's um, the, I guess the adage, uh, it's okay to not be okay. Uh, you know, if you've gone through certain situations or similar, you know, if you're not kind of effed up, then please go check yourself into the local prison because you're like the next child, uh, Ted Bundy, like, like take yourself out of the equation. Uh, but yeah, pick up the book, uh, leave a review. I appreciate the star reviews, but please just write something. Even if it's book sucks, I, like that's fine, but just write something. Uh, Cause that really helps me. And, you know, kind of already working on a second book um, to follow up to that book as well. Um, so yeah, we'll see. That's awesome, dude. So we'll see it. We'll look forward to the second book. So if you got the second one, you're going to be back on here. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, coming. Awesome, man. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for being on the show, buddy. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, again, 
Terror to Triumph, the book. It's available on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Nobles. Google it. You'll see it. And he's got more great things to come. He's got some swag coming soon and looking forward to seeing it come out, buddy. So thank you, Chris. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for being on the show, buddy. Yeah, thank you. If you have a heroic story and you'd like to share it, get in contact with us. Our information's in the bio. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and share. And then I'll see you on the next episode, badasses. Badasses.